welcome to the Holmes Politicast. I'll be your host today. We have a lot of news. I wasn't here last week, so we have a lot of things to catch up on. I apologize if I mention some things that happened a couple weeks ago that I might have already talked about, but it's been a while. I probably should have listened to my last show before I started this one, just to refresh my memory of what I talked about and what I didn't. But anyway, um, there's a lot of things going on this week. Of course, uh, President Biden has been giving his first address to a joint session of Congress uh, this week. Um, And there's some things that he's expected to unveil, which we'll dig into that a little bit. Um, But uh, there's a couple of more local. Oh, oh, and a couple more local stories that I want to touch on first. But let me just say also the CDC announced this week that if you're vaccinated, it is fully okay to be outside without wearing a mask. I mean, they've lifted the mandate, which is a little ironic. I think that's the word <laughs> um, that uh, I didn't know that actually was uh, a mandate. Um, I even when I wasn't vaccinated, I wasn't wearing a mask when I was outside. Um, sometimes I would wear it before I went into the store only because I would just put it on when I got out of the vehicle, just so I didn't have to think about it. But um, if I was outside, though, I did not even think there was a rule on that. But anyway, uh, so for any of you who are are uh, strict um, followers of the government's advice, you can now don't have to wear a mask. But if you're outside and you're vaccinated, but... I would imagine most of the people listening to our show really couldn't care less there if they're going to wear a mask whether they want to or not unless unless a store won't admit them into the store without it they're probably not going to wear a mask anyway. Uh but um it is a little strange that um and 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 the the other thing that I think is odd is how are you going to know if a person's vaccinated, I mean, really, if, you know, if there's someone who's not vaccinated and they're walking around without a mask outside, how are you going to know, you know, oh, only vaccinated people can wear a mask outdoors? Like, like, how are they going to know? I mean, and, and short of having the police ask for a person's paper and proof that they're vaccinated, um, you know, there's no way to enforce that because any person could lie. Um you know, if, if you ask them, hey, are you vaccinated? Oh, yeah, I'm vaccinated. I mean, or I already had the coronavirus or whatever. Um, you know, there's there's no real law that says you can't be outside without a mask. So, you know, it's a little different. Uh, I don't always like it, but it's a little different if you're going into a private business or establishment where they say, this is our rule. You have to wear a mask to enter. But outside, there's no... There's no mechanism. So I thought it was kind of odd that they all day they've been um, pushing this. I want to say propaganda, uh, you know, telling you, hey, if you're vaccinated, you can you don't have to wear a mask. But if you're unvaccinated, you still need to wear one. I mean, I just thought it, it just seems kind of ridiculous because there's no implement way to implement that that mandate. You know, there's no way to know. So um, I just thought it was very odd thing that they came out and made such a point of it. I, I, if you want to ask my personal opinion, I think that 
the reason why they're making such a big deal about it uh, is they are attempting to make it look as if Joe Biden is doing something to alleviate, you know, um, the concerns like um, to make it look like he's working hard, you know, under Biden's leadership, you know, we've removed the mask mandate outdoors. You know, we're getting closer to um, to normality. You know, um, I think that's the main thing, because I, I really don't think that's going to make a much difference for most people. Uh, if you look at spring break and and things, people were down there without a mask anyway. They weren't they weren't waiting for the CDC to give them permission. You know, so I, I really don't think I think if you're already prone to wearing a mask, if you if you want to, then you're going to. I don't think that they hate wearing a mask, but they're saying, but I have to because the CDC says I have to. And now I don't have to. I think they were going to and they might still wear a mask outdoors just for that added protection or safety. And the people who aren't going to wear a mask, I really don't think are, well, it's not going to affect them because they're not wearing a mask anyway. So they're not, you know, they're not going to change their lifestyle behavior just because the CDC made this recommendation, I should say. Um, it's not an order. It's not a law. It's just a recommendation. Um, so anyway, those are the two big things this week as far as national. And we can, if we have time, we may talk a little bit about what Biden's going to introduce. If not, then we can save that for next week or or a special edition, um, you know, about some of the provisions that he's going to outline tonight of where he wants uh, to take the nation over the course of the next year and some of the legislation that he wants to uh, that he, that he wants to enact. But um, uh, a couple of headlines here because I can't get into some of the stories. Unfortunately, they're behind a paywall. But just so you know, um, for those of you who live in the Grand Haven area, the Grand Haven City Council has approved several summer summer events. So they will be doing several events this summer. Um, I'm not sure if what they all are, but um, keep an eye on that if you're from Grand Haven. But they have pushed back a decision on the Coast Guard Festival craft fair and the Coast Guard Festival itself. Now, things may change by the time you read this. There may be breaking news on that front, but... They haven't made a decision yet on on those and probably on the fireworks. Like I said, I can't get into the article. So there may be some decisions that still need to be made about some of those. But um, but they are loosening some of the restrictions for downtown and for the summer. Um, also, uh, the census finally came out and a number of states are losing congressional district and there are a number of states that are gaining. And of course, for those of you who, who don't know, and I would imagine that most of our listeners are pretty intelligent. And when I mean that, I don't mean necessarily IQ wise, although they have to be pretty smart if they're listening to us. But but um, I mean, they're they're very well read, like they, they, they know about how history and politics and and civics and stuff. So but just in case, you know, the uh, the House, the House of Representatives represents the population. And so for every certain amount of people in an area, they get one representative. And so if, if, and and then the census is done every 10 years and that's how we redraw certain districts based on the population. Some people will perhaps like leave Ottawa County and move to Detroit. So that would give 
Detroit more people and might add a congressional district to Detroit and take away from or make the make it smaller, the uh, district in Ottawa County or, you know, and, and they're not exactly counties, but you understand what I mean. I mean, they're not full counties. They're, you know, a conglomeration of different areas and things. But also, if people leave a state and move to another state, we will lose representation and that state could perhaps gain representation. In fact, in New York, uh, there's a big deal being made because New York is losing one of their representatives in the House of Representatives because they were 89 people short in that district to reach the threshold. So now they have to abolish that district and uh, uh, put that in, you know, divide it among other districts. So um, Michigan is going to lose a congressional district. And it it doesn't make a huge difference as far as um you know how to you know passing things it i mean it, it makes a difference but not it's not like we lose one and now we have you know Michigan has no say over anything it um but we're going to lose one and which means that we'll have to redraw all of our districts and some poor member of the house of representatives will lose their job uh, don't know where that's going to be. We won't know for a while until the districts are redrawn, but someone's going to lose their job and because they will, the districts will be redrawn. And, you know, and I don't know how that goes into it. Used to, uh, the legislature was behind it, but Michigan recently passed something, a law on the, a ballot initiative to make sure that the legislature couldn't because there was fear that they would, what they would, what they call gerrymander, meaning draw the districts in such a way that would ensure a one party rule of that district. So in this case, it would be for fear of the Republicans being able to, to keep all of their Republican seats and make sure that a Democrat is the one who loses their job. So the house would have less uh, Democrats. That was the fear. So they said it has to be a bipartisan outside group that has to redistrict. So I'm not sure how that process is going to work. Last I heard, there was actually some objection that had been filed, and I don't know if it went to court or not. So it may be a while before we get this thing worked out, but but elections have consequences, as you've heard many times. Um, Barack Obama used to say that all the time when chastising the Republican members of Congress. He said, elections have consequences. And I won the election, so... Therefore, you need to come around to my way of thinking, basically. Um, but even though it was a very heavy-handed way of dealing with Republicans, he has a point. Elections do have consequences. We saw that in 2016 when Donald Trump got elected. He was able to put three justices on the Supreme Court because elections have consequences. He has changed the makeup of the court for a long time. Now, it might not be permanent because... If a Republican was to die in the next four years, then the Democrats would be able to appoint somebody and it would even out the court uh, back to the way it was before Donald Trump took office. But but the, the point is that elections have consequences, and it's the same thing here in Michigan. If you see the states that have lost congressional states, uh, seats, um, and this is just a small sampling, there, there are many who did, um, Michigan, New York, California, and uh, states who gained some are Florida, Texas, 
um, Montana. Um, and that's not all there, there was more, but I just want to bring your attention to the fact that the states that locks lost some are states that were run by Democrats and who had very strong, um, lockdown restrictions during the pandemic. And the states that gained were the ones who had loosened the pandemic restrictions and, uh, or didn't have any at all. So it goes to prove again, that elections have consequences. Even the state elections who you elect as governor have consequences. In this case, people fled the state of Michigan. Now, not all because of Gretchen Whitmer. I'm not going to put all the blame on her because there are some people who have to leave for jobs. There's some people who have died. There's some people who, you know, for health reasons, they've retired and they, you know, they need a, a warmer climate. So I'm not going to say that every single person who left Michigan, it's because they couldn't stand Whitmer. But I'm, but I'm saying though, that it's not a coincidence that three of the major states that lost were states with a Democratic governor who had um, had these very draconian lockdown rules. So, you know, uh, so anyway, and I think it's interesting, Montana gained one, which is really interesting because Montana is one of those uh, states that is very, very large, but the population isn't very large. I remember when I was uh, a kid, I, I used to live in Montana and we would study about the states and uh, of course, we'd study about the state we lived in, too. But I remember that Montana, they always talk about Montana is the fourth largest state in the union. Um, after Alaska and Texas and I think California, I can't remember who the third largest was. But as far as population, it ranked near the bottom. So because they have such a small population and it's the same way in Wyoming, they only have one representative. So that represent, representative re represents the entire state. So now, since they gained a population, they will now have two representatives, which I know doesn't sound huge, but but it is a big deal for Montana because it's never had two representatives. It's always only had the one who represented the whole state. So um, so that's going to be interesting. It makes a very competitive now, um, you know, the possibility of getting uh, uh, well of, of a new of a new representative. And nobody's losing their job. In fact, they're gaining one. So uh, it's it's a win-win for Montana. Now, Florida and Texas already have a number of representatives, so adding one more isn't a huge boon, but it is in the sense that if they elect a Republican representative, then it will change the balance in the House. Now, it won't, it won't give the Republicans an outright majority in the House, but it makes it a lot closer, and it makes the 2022 election even more important to Republicans and Democrats. They have got to get their people out to vote because it's if the Democrats lose many seats at all, they will lose the House. And if Republicans gain many seats, which I guess is the same thing. Um, if the Democrats lose, obviously the Republicans are going to win. But, um, you know, so, but I, I mean, it is, it is important, but I, I, it's just a huge change for Montana. I mean, I'm sure that they are very excited to suddenly have more than one representative in their state. So, um, but yeah, that's a really interesting development. And like I said, uh, elections matter. Um, uh, let's see. The Michigan coronavirus rate drops 12.5% over the last week. This, oh, actually this article is more recent. I was thinking this might be from two weeks ago, but no. That's this week. So 
so uh, our numbers are going down, which is tremendous. It's awesome, which helps with, uh, you know, along with the idea of being able to take, to go outside without a mask if you're vaccinated. Um, you know, it's, it's a definite trend in the right direction for Michigan. Um, really excited about that. Again, hopefully we'll start opening up the state. There's not going to be a lot of excuse to not open up the state as numbers are dropping and the CDC is, is uh, uh, loosening some restrictions about vaccinated individuals. Um, in California, you may have heard this, the effort to recall Governor Gavin Newsom has reached 1.6 million signatures, and they've all been verified now, enough to trigger an election this fall. So they weren't planning on having a governor's race this year, but now California will be having a race. Uh, it said this fall. I don't know what their statute, if it you know has to be with the other elections or if it's a special election. I don't know. Or how many months it takes. I don't know. But that's going to be interesting because, okay, how the recalls work? And I've only seen one recall in my life. It's very rare. There have been... Uh, I, I want to say three or four, probably three in our entire history of our nation. Governors have been actually recalled, um, but there, there may have been four, but it's a very rare thing. And I, I, I want to say I lived through one. I mean, I did, but I didn't live in the state when California recalled Governor um, Gray Davis. And that is actually how Arnold Schwarzenegger got elected because Gray Davis was recalled and then uh, Schwarzenegger was elected to replace him. How it works is that there will be two uh, uh, questions on the ballot, basically. Should Governor Newsom be um, recalled? And of course, I don't know the exact verbiage, but but just for the sake of conversation, yes or no. And then the second one will be, if he is recalled, who would you like to replace him. And there'll be a list of people who have thrown their hat in the ring to choose from. Um, but that only is triggered if, if uh, he's recalled, then they count the people who would replace him. So, so it's a, it's a, it's not a, they're going to vote on the recall. And then if he's recalled, then they have to have another election to choose his replacement. If he's, if, if he's recalled immediately, they will count the ballots and whoever got the most votes, obviously, becomes the new governor. We have a number of people who have already said they're going to run. We already know that Caitlyn Jenner, um, formerly Bruce uh, Jenner, um, is running. Uh, he's already said, or um, already said, said so. We also have, um, you know, other people who were, uh, I guess, famous, I mean, you know, in California, like the attorney general or the secretary of state, you know, somebody like that, lieutenant governor, I don't know. There's a couple of people that I'm not too familiar with, but they have positions in government. And then you have some actors like Randy Quaid is considering running. He has not announced he's going to run. But I really, I mean, it, it doesn't really affect us here in Michigan, but I really am not a big fan of these celebrities running for office. I mean, I, I just, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger was a little different because he had a history 
of working in politics. Like he wasn't just an actor. He was, he was a megastar, but he had worked on the, on president George HW Bush's fitness council. Uh, you know, he was heavily involved in Republican politics, given speeches at the, you know, at the RNC and, and fundraising for candidates and campaigning and, um, you know, campaign for president Bush. Um, you know, he was already heavily involved in Republican politics. So he wasn't just some novice actor who decided I'm going to run. Uh, that's the problem I have here because these people have not shown any real interest in politics uh, outside of um, outside of this. I mean, it seems to me almost like a, uh, I don't want to say a PR stunt because it's not a stunt. I mean, if they really run, but it's our, almost like a PR move. It's, it's just a way of getting their name out there and, and, you know, and being the center of attention, you know, they're not, they don't really have anything they want to do. They just like the idea of being the biggest celebrity in the state or, you know, if they ran for president, the biggest celebrity in the nation, or, you know, it, it just seems like that's, you know, they don't have any real fire in their belly, as they say, of this is what I want to do for the state or for the country or whatever. You know, we saw Ashley Judd thought about running against Mitch McConnell uh, a couple of, of terms ago. And again, you know, she ended up not running uh, because it just ended up being a lot more work. And she really wasn't interested in doing the job. Uh, Melissa Gilbert, known for uh, her portrayal of Laura Ingalls on Little House on the Prairie, considered running for a house for the House of Representatives here in Michigan. Her and her husband have a, a, a home here in Michigan. They call it a cabin, but I mean, it's, it's huge. Um, and she considered running, but she never went beyond the planning stages because it just turned out that it's a lot more work and more work than they really are interested in doing. It's just, it just seems like a fun idea at the time. So uh, I don't know with Jenner, that's already a foregone thing. But with like Randy Quaid, I don't know if this is just talk and getting his name out there. And then he'll at some point say, I've decided not to run. Oh, also we have Matthew McConaughey, who's considering running for governor of uh, Texas. I really don't know. He seems pretty conservative, but I really don't know because he's talking about running against governor Abbott, who's a Republican. So I'm really not sure what, what he's, what he would run as. But again, you know, these are, you know, these are uh, more celebrities who are talking about running for for office. And again, a couple of years ago, Cynthia Nixon, uh, an actress from the series Sex and the City, a very progressive liberal activist, um, ran against Andrew Cuomo for governor. Um, you know, we're seeing a, a large number of celebrities now who are um, trying to get involved in politics and really um, don't have any deep ideas of what they want to do. It's just more, um, they want to be a figurehead. They want to be like the head of state, as you say, you know, where they, they cut ribbons and they, you know, appear at openings of, of the mall or, you know, businesses, you know, stuff like that. But they're not really interested in doing actual work. Like they want to be a show horse being trotted out, you know, and I, I know I'm, brought in, I'm painting with a broad brush. I can't say that every single politician or every single celebrity is like that. Um, there may be some who have real ideas, but 
a majority of them, it seems like, in my opinion, are just looking to, uh, you know, just be a show horse, just go out there and, and be seen and collect a salary and, and get all the accolades, having dinners and, and, and fundraisers and this kind of thing. But when it actually comes to governing, they're not really all that interested in what they need to do and making the hard decisions. Um, but like I said, Arnold Schwarzenegger was one of the exceptions, but Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course, was a Republican in California. And as, as you've heard me talk about many times, the Republican and Democratic Party actually, even though you don't see much of it in Congress, still have um, very conservative Democrats and liberal Republicans. Now, in Congress, you don't see that too much. They're pretty much all in conservative or all in liberal. But around the country, you still see in the, in the um, Northeast, uh, in New England, and on the West Coast, uh, you know, uh, Washington, Oregon, California, um, Republicans are very liberal. They're usually, they usually support some gun control. They support their pro-choice. They, um, are, uh, you know, just, they're just very different. This was a problem Mitt Romney had when he ran for president because he was from Massachusetts. You know, he was trying to win as a Republican and it was very difficult because, they pulled up old speeches of his when he was running for governor and they won't elect an extreme right person in, in uh, Massachusetts, nor would they in California. So, you know, here he was talking about universal health care and he was talking about, you know, um, the second amendment not being absolute. He was talking about, you know, a woman's right to choose, you know, and of course that hurt him. And I, I think that was one of the major reasons why he did not defeat Barack Obama, even though it was an easy, it was an easy race to win, but he, uh, a lot of conservatives felt betrayed by him and in all honesty still do. Uh, there's a lot of conservatives who still distrust him and don't like him because of his position on the impeachment of Donald Trump and other things. Um, you know, so Arnold Schwarzenegger being uh, from California isn't the most conservative person, although he did stand up for, for many conservative values, but, um, and that, that is a, a, pr a problem over there. And of course, and I just want to say just to, to book, to bookend it, you know, um, there's also very conservative Democrats in, um, like Montana and Wyoming, uh, you know, in the, in the West, um, not the West coast, but in the West and even in the South, many of the Democrats, um, even though some of them won't talk about it publicly because it's a, it, it'll kill them on a national level. They are pro-life and they support the second amendment. You see that with Joe Manchin of West Virginia. It's a very conservative state and he's a Democrat, but he's very conservative and he's just been a real fly in the ointment for Biden because he doesn't signing on to many of Biden's um, ideas because he's much more conservative than, um, than like AOC, even though I know she's a representative and he's a senator, but but you know he's he's very more he's much more conservative than a New York liberal or Democrat. So there are extremes, and that's and, and so it's 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 kind of interesting if you watch because depending on where you're from, you can be a Democrat but be pretty conservative just on some you know and and, and it varies for different candidates sometimes 
they're more pro environment or they're, you know, whatever, but they're very conservative on other issues. And then the Republicans are the same way. They might be um, for smaller government, lower taxes, but they're pro choice, you know, or they think that we should have some, maybe limited, but some gun control. You know, it's it is interesting depending on where they're from, and that's and that's why Congress it, it's it's very difficult sometimes to get things to Congress, and and it's a problem that Biden has, although he has actually accomplished quite a bit more than I thought he would. But it's a problem that he has trying to thread that needle because if he goes too far to the left, he'll lose people like Joe Manchin. But if he if he goes too far to the right to please men like Joe Manchin, then Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, they won't vote for anything that they won't vote for the bill. So therefore it, it dies because, you know, if he goes too far one way to please one person, he'll lose two more people on the other side. So, and because they only have that 50 seat uh, and 51 with Kamala Harris breaking a tie, they can't afford to have, for you know, so he's he's really got to walk a fine line, trying to go right down the middle, not do anything too controversial. And so, um, it's just interesting. I I kind of enjoy watching Congress now. I used to think it was like watching paint dry, but um, sometimes it is a little interesting seeing how you maneuver things through Congress. In fact, uh, Joe Biden, um, you know, he was talking. Uh, a month or so ago about gun control and he did a couple of executive action things, but you, you'll notice that he did not, he did not um, try to pass any legislation because it would die on arrival. There, there's no way that conservative Democrats like Joe Manchin, like, uh, you know, the uh, uh, John Tester from uh, Montana, you know, they're Democrats, but they're not going to go on board. So there's really, none of the Republicans are going to vote for it. And, you know, he needs to have 50 Democrats vote for it. And already, if you put up gun control, you lose Joe Manchin, you lose John Tester, at least you might lose more. So you've already lost two. So there's really no point in wasting your political capital trying to push gun control through right now. Now, if, if they win in the midterms and get a majority, like a full majority, then you might see him try to push something through because he can afford to lose one or two members of the Senate. But Right now, he's not going to waste political capital trying to push something through that is going to be dead on arrival. Um, so it is interesting to kind of watch and see what he's promoting, what he's trying to push through, what he's not, um, you know, because he's he's just got that fine balance that he needs to walk here. Uh, and so I, I find it a little interesting. I'm a little more of a nerd on those things, but I find it interesting to see how he's attempting to govern. Uh, you know, um, and I, I really never really paid a lot of attention. I paid a little bit of attention under Trump, but prior to Trump, I never really paid attention to what the Congress was doing. Um, I really paid more attention to what the president did, but now it is rather fascinating for me anyway, to watch how a president tries to deal with these different factions in their own party. Uh, so, um, Anyway, I, I just I find that interesting. So that's something to definitely look out for, especially this week as he unveils his uh, it's like American Families Plan or I I don't know exactly. It's got the word families in it. It's got the word American in it. You know, um, 
and I think it has the word plan, but it seems like there's another word in there as well. But, um, you know, to see how far he goes with it and, and how it's going to be, uh, welcomed by the Senate primarily because the house is going to pass it. The house will pass anything that Donald, that, uh, Joe Biden wants. Um, it's the Senate that you always have to look out for. And it was the same thing under Donald Trump. When the Republicans controlled the house, they passed everything that Donald Trump wanted. It was in the Senate that he found trouble with men like Mitt Romney and, and Susan Collins, not a man like Susan Collins, but you know, Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, you know, that's where you had the problems with the more moderate Republicans. So it's interesting um, to really see in here, uh, Nancy Pelosi is going to push through anything that Joe Biden wants, but it'll be interesting to see how the Democrats react to it. Are they on board? Um, I can already tell you that Joe Manchin is going to object to the price tag. It's going to be a couple trillion dollars to push this through on top of the infrastructure plan that he wants to do and these other very costly items. Um, Joe Manchin telegraphed on, on Sunday on some of those Sunday shows that he's already concerned about the deficit and, um, and how much these programs cost. And, and, uh, so we'll, we'll see if, if they can find some way to get Joe Manchin on board and there might be others. I'm just saying, I just know Joe Manchin already has said he's not sure he's, he's got some definite questions about the price tag. So we'll see tonight what he, or this week, what, what he, uh, what he says about that. Um, another, uh, this was just an interesting fact. Actually, honestly, I'm not sure where they don't give a source for this, but this person is uh, upset about about this. So I, I assume that they must be telling the truth. This isn't this isn't a conservative saying this is actually uh, an atheist, um, more liberal, um, anti, you know, or, or one of these quote unquote pro science, you know people. Um, and he says, you know, crazy fact that he, that he just learned only 22% of Americans believe in secular human evolution up only from 9% from 9% in 2000. So he's, he's upset about the fact that the, the theory of human evolution, he put secular because obviously it's a non-religious belief that only 22% of Americans believe that. And he's disheartened by this. And that that number was only at 9% 21 years ago. So it hasn't, it has increased quite a bit over 21 years, but only to 22%. I mean, we're not even talking a full majority. And, you know, so even though he doesn't source where he got this information from, uh, I doubt he's making it up because if he was going to make up something, he would make up the story that a majority, a vast majority of Americans believe in evolution as opposed to those few ridiculous religious nuts who believe in creation. But it, it got me to thinking about about um, numbers in general. And, and we'll go through this kind of quick because uh, we're running out of time very quickly. But But the thing is, we for a long time in this country have catered to the lowest common denominator. And it seems as if 
a small number of people, they're a very vocal minority, seem to run this country. And let me give you a few examples. For example, this. If you listen to the world, if you listen to the press, if you listen to the schools, if you talk to anybody in academia or in science or any of these things, they will tell you that evolution is a proven fact, that only a few nutty people don't believe in evolution. That's why it needs to be taught in schools and that um, uh, Christians and Catholics and I don't know, maybe Jewish people and Muslims, I don't know, but certainly Christians um, are standing in the way of progress because they want creationism taught in school. They want all this stuff. And yet a vast majority of the country believes that's nonsense, that there is no supreme being or no higher power. They were all just evolved from fish. And, uh, but you see here that only 22% of Americans believe that, but yet that's less than half of Americans, far less than half. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm not very good at math. I mean, obviously 22% means out of a hundred, but I don't know in real people, like what that would be like if you, if you counted up the amount of people in the country and divided it, you know, you know, and found what 22% of those people would be, how many it'd be or anything like that. But, you know, it's interesting that you would think that it is a minority of people who believe in, in this. Um, but, uh, it's not. Um, so we also see that, you know, there's also, uh, not, statistically, you know, not that many gay people in the United States, but yet you would also think that everybody in the country is, or police shootings or any of these things, that um, statistically there's not that many, but it's always overblown to make it seem as if there's a lot more um, of everything. Uh, you know, these small groups end up becoming uh, very... Uh, there's a lot of focus on them. So, anyway, uh, it's a little little short, but I think I'll go ahead and end it there. Anyway, I'll talk to you next next week, and uh, hope everyone has a good week, and talk to you soon. Bye.